Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly. Thanks for listening. This is episode 82, recorded on September 16th of 2019, uh, the Photo Geekery Show, where we dig into uh, the under-the-hood topics, if we can find them, on a weekly news cycle basis. Um, this is your host, Don Komarechka, always joined with a guest host. This week, a recurring voice on the podcast, uh, somebody that I love to banter back and forth with, Alan Attridge rejoins the conversation. Alan, uh, it's been a while since we've chatted. What have you been up to lately? Oh, lately. That's a deep question. Uh, summer. Summer stuff, you know, tra- <laughs> a little traveling, a lot of baseball, uh, regular summer stuff. Yeah, well, I, uh, so well, when does your baseball season end? Never. It doesn't. We just, we had, <laughs> I know, I know. I was hoping it would be done by now, but we, we uh, just had a couple playoff games last weekend and we got another one coming up. So hopefully, hopefully Saturday will be the end of the season. Well, let's, uh, let's hope you'll have some fun with that. And uh, do you have like a big season ending thing that you do? Uh, well, this will be it. Like we're, uh, we finished top of the league and, uh, Looks like we're gonna we got a two game lead in a, in a best of five series in the playoffs, so that'll probably be the big blowout, and then we'll see. And then and then there is the the Baden Württemberg, that the province that I live in. There is the the provincial championship that we have scheduled for October third. That we're gonna we're gonna win that. So that's gonna be our big final blowout. And I'll give you I'll send you some pictures when we're all done. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and as for myself, uh, people are listening to the podcast. You know that we were dark for a little while as I was on vacation with my family, uh, having some much needed time off. And, um, you know, it sucks. I did promise to uh, to post an episode of my Inside the Lens podcast when I was gone. Right before I left, I uploaded it to my web server, the uh, edited MP3 file ready to uh, upload something happened and the file was corrupted and I couldn't do anything about it oh, while no. I was uh, overseas. Uh, so I've got like the post ready to go. I just uh, haven't had a chance to uh, to re-upload that file. So that'll be out very shortly after this podcast airs. Look forward to that conversation with uh, Rick and Susan Salmon on travel photography, which will be a ton of fun. Uh, but this podcast, uh, we're, we're all about the, the techie, geeky stuff of photography. Um, and uh, I knew that uh, you You'd be a good person to have on the show for some of the stories that had come out while I was away, uh, particularly because I know you, Alan. Uh, I mean, you're a great stills photographer. There's no question about it. But uh, some of the video projects that you have, uh, you know, sort of enlightened me on over the past years uh, has uh, kind of made you an expert in my eyes. <laughs> not of you, uh, not of using like the high end, like uh, uh, broadcast cameras and. Uh, the, the stuff that you would find in a motion picture, um, but using the kind of video equipment that I you would usually have my own hands on. Uh, right. Like you and I both had the 5D Mark II for many years, and now I think you've got the 5D Mark III. Uh, and using that kind of photographic equipment to do stellar video production work uh, it kind of brings it down to earth for a lot of people. It's the gear that we all have in our own hands that we can use for video work, um, which is why I kind of wanted your opinion on some of the stories that have uh, sort of broken over the last couple of weeks, uh, in particularly uh, new cameras and new lenses in the the video recording space. And so, uh, number one, uh, widely reported, uh, Canon has announced the uh, the C500 Mark II, um, which is a 6K full-frame cinema raw light 
sort of modular concept camera. Uh, also uh, coinciding with the launch from Sony, not to be uh, uh, left out of the spotlight with the Sony FX9 being announced, as well as extra bits and pieces like um, uh, Atomos has shared that the Lumix S1H is going to be able to record raw footage through their Ninja V uh, external recorder. And all this kind of video stuff um, gets me excited. Because, you know, as a photographer, uh, it's kind of an unknown realm for me. All the extra features that people drool over in a video space, uh, it's almost like speaking a different language. I don't know exactly what this stuff is or why it might necessarily be useful. Most of the video stuff that I produce is either quick little instructional videos or it's designed to be, you know, put together by some other production team. And I don't get involved in the, the wherewithal and then the nuts and bolts. You don't worry about 10 bit 422 versus 444 color space, et cetera. If they ask for that and I don't have it, I find a way to get it. But right. it's not like I, I understand the real meaning of that from an editor's perspective. Um, you know, I'm not the one that's going to be color grading any of this footage. Uh, and so having a, um, a, a raw output for me, for my own production work, doesn't matter anything. Mm-hmm. But it could very well matter if I'm shooting footage for a documentary film project, of which I've done a lot of in the past. Uh, and so to have um, even, uh, you know, I just purchased a, uh, a Lumix S1 that I'm going to convert to full spectrum photography. And I'm going to try to do some experimental work with that, both in stills and in video. And I'll get the uh, the firmware upgrade package that lets me uh, shoot with a, uh, a log video format that it's kind of like, um, you know, ungraded footage. It's not quite raw, but at least it can be manipulated to be color graded into other stuff. Um, you, of course, can't use those types of features, but I don't think it's been a um, uh, a stumbling block for you at all in any of the production work that you've done. So, Alan, my question to you is, mm-hmm. looking at the specs of uh, the new Canon C500, the Sony FX9, the Lumix S1H, and what it can all do in RAW and resolution and all of these bells and whistles, what matters to you and what should people looking to get the best video quality without being part of a massive production team really care about? What really strikes me with the the C five hundred and the C three hundred and the C like, like first of all they should name them better in my opinion I I I'm, <laughs> I pay attention to these things and I'm really kind of confused about which is which but I remember when the C three hundred came out like whatever it was ten years ago when it was announced because the 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 five D Mark II was the big groundbreaker and it re- it really was that was an absolute game changer when it came to uh, video production because up to then you well, had and the the first two stories that that we're linking to are from Cinema 5D which only exists because of the 5D Mark II revolutionizing the video landscape so right uh, continue would, 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 at the time I I understand that video was sort of an afterthought like they they produced the camera and said well you know what we actually we we can probably do video let's just do that and it, it, you had your options were you know 30 frames per second or 25 they, they didn't even have a 24 frame per second uh, per second option and uh they ended up adding that in the firmware later after you know much belly aching from guys like myself um not true i got it after but point being um it, it was it was added later and kind of an afterthought because we they had all these dedicated video cameras that essentially you couldn't change lenses on. Like it was basically you're dialed in. That was exactly the package you had. And now all of a sudden, not only could you change the lenses and use real lenses, 
You could get the, the cinema lenses, which I think we'll talk about later in the show, and you could do real film production, albeit somewhat cumbersome because it is a still camera. You know, it's like be like making pancakes in your car. I'm sure you could do it. <laughs> not designed for that. You, you're, you're better to have a dedicated. So what I like the most about the Canon cinema series, uh, uh, this 500, 300, 700s, all of them, is that they are dedicated video cameras. And yeah, they, they they don't they don't do stills. It's just not an option. It's not like you look at the um, the Lumix S1H. It can do stills. You can right. use it for stills. I don't know why you would pay the extra to use that as a stills camera when it is clearly focused on video, but it can serve dual purpose. Right. Um, the uh, the C500, the Sony FX9, these are exclusively for video production, and you wouldn't pay the extra money to use this for a stills camera. Even if you could in a pinch, it would just be useless for you. Yeah, there's really not much point to it. But I have shot on productions where I, I, I was shooting with my with my Mark II or my, my Mark III, and I'll be side-by-side side with one or two of the C300, C, whatever it was, the, the C-series cameras. And, you know, in, in some respects, I'm very, very jealous of these guys because, you know, they, they have the, the dedicated camera that they don't have to worry about, all right, I got to fl- flip over to video mode and, flip you know, flip the mirror up. And, and then next thing, you know, I have to have an eyepiece attached to the back of the LCD just so I can maintain focus. And they have that all dialed in. So they're ready to go. On the other hand, I do love the fact that my camera is very, very, very compact. Like I, I can walk around pretty much anywhere and not be, be bothered and still be shooting. That's the one positive. Um, other positive is the price. I mean, the, the price on the, 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 DSLRs obviously much much lower than the C500, etc. That being said, this is a reasonably priced camera for what it does. Well, and you're getting into the five figures. I mean, uh, that we're looking at uh, Cinema 5D, and they're quoting in euros, but usually that translates to about the same value in USD. People in Europe get hosed on these prices, I guess. Yes. Um, and and they're looking at uh, eleven thousand dollars. Um, which might seem like a lot of money until you're using this on a production that requires it, and it is just a line item in the budget. Okay, I, I even read fifteen thousand, which I thought was reasonable. So eleven thousand is 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 now you're you're going to be in by the time you start using this. Um, oh, so sorry, it, it does say uh, fifteen thousand, and I was jumping ahead, getting my numbers mixed up to the uh, the Sony story, which is next, uh, which the FX nine is eleven thousand, but still roughly in the same ballpark if you're going to be spending five figures uh a couple of points there might not make a huge difference especially when you're trying to with the sony camera uh adding on its uh extra module on the back to do its raw recording that's an extra 2500 bucks or so and that puts them almost at parity now so you start doing the math on this and so i i i I do own i still own although it's just gathering dust i own an aeroflex airy s uh film camera 16 millimeter film camera and with the the 400 foot mags, and so you know, I have shot with it a long time ago. We don't do that anymore. It's it's just not cost effective. But 15 years ago or plus, when we would shoot with it, uh, you're looking at you're going to shoot 16 millimeter film, so much smaller frame size than than the Super 35 this thing has. You're going to shoot 400 feet is going to be about 11 minutes if you know what you're doing. 10 minutes, 40 seconds, but you can pack that. You can pack that right. You can get 20 seconds extra out of that out of that magazine, um, and that's going to cost you around 400 dollars just for that 10 minutes. 
<laughs> so if you imagine Th- what- Thank you. Thank you for putting this in perspective. Okay, and now now if you're really good, and if you're really good with, with syncing the sound and, and, and when to roll camera, and you have to be really, and get everything in two takes, you do maximum two takes, you're still going to shoot, you'll be lucky to shoot at a, a four to one ratio, which means every $400 you spend, you'll be lucky to get two, two and a half minutes out of it. So imagine shooting a feature, a 90 minute feature, that's very short, now I can start doing the math on that. And was that thirty six times four hundred? It's going to be expensive. Yeah, just the consumables is is ridiculous. Yeah, and and that's after you have to pay for all of the equipment. Which let's uh, just I, I have no idea. I'm just pulling a number out of thin air. Um, the the actual hardware cost the same. I'm just making that up right now. It could be mm-hmm. more, could be less. It, it's irrelevant really to the conversation. Um, but right now, I mean, you can shoot to your heart's content and your cost is uh, almost nothing compared to the cost of just, you know, uh, the, f- uh, filling up all of those canisters full of film in the past. Yes. Like you said, $400 for a handful of minutes when we're complaining now that at least on the 5D Mark II and Mark III, it's not the same on these uh, video uh, cameras, but on the stills uh, sort of hybrid video cameras uh, that you've got a recording limit of 29 minutes and 59 seconds uh, for tax purposes mostly. So, yeah, we got it good. We have it very, very yes. good these days. I've, I've been very excited ever since the, the, the Mark II came out. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and, and the, the, the cinema series has been an extension of that. I really like what they're doing. There's some... You know, there's some downsides to it. I, I I don't know where they've you know landed on on fixing the entire um, uh, rolling shutter issue. I, I don't think I don't think it's really gone away. It's been better. Um, but these these the new series uh, cinema series great for like low budget productions and documentaries. I can see that being the their their real wheelhouse of where they're they're aiming. Um, they're great handheld. I mean, once you start once you build in all the like like the the rigs for it of course um you can run and gun that's what's that's what's great about it because they have sound inputs as well the dslrs are notoriously bad for sound no matter what you do to them it's not good i i I don't even record like i I record a a scratch track so i can sync up later on the the, on the 5d uh but i record with all like with either my um, a shotgun mic and a zoom h4n or i have little pack mics that have recorders built in but there's no way i use the audio in the dslrs now that the c500 is going to have great audio input which means you don't have to sync it up later uh obviously a higher end production you're going to want a sound guy because they do a much better job if that's all oh, yeah. that they're doing uh, so in that respect, for, for those kind of things low budget productions and documentaries this is going to be a phenomenal phenomenal camera Oh yeah, and you you look at the specs, and uh, you're going to get uh, a 12 bit output um, at your uh, you know full 5.9k. And this bothers me. I mean, why not go 6k? You're almost there. Yeah, I think it was about the the, the actual sensor size because the aspect ratio on the on this on the sensor, I believe, is a 1.7. 
from what I've read. Well, uh, sure, but just make the sensor, uh, just pack those pixels in ever so slightly smaller and, and right. get there to six, right? Unless it was, uh, and, and this, I, I, again, I'm just assuming here, but it might be the fact that the processing capabilities just weren't there from this current generation of processors to eco that extra little bit of data mm-hmm. uh, from a sensor. Maybe the readout wouldn't be fast enough. And they said, well, we could wait until the next generation of product, which might be, I'm not sure what kind of a cycle that these high-end cameras are on, but it could be 18 months to two years before we go 6K. Or you know what? Let's do 5.9K now rather than waiting two Mm -hmm. years and just give that to the masses because that would uh, allow us to kind of hit the ceiling of what our processors can do today. Ours go to 11. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so speaking of going to 11 with some of the new tech that goes into here, this is one of the first cameras on the market that will use CF Express cards, um, which is the evolution of the XQD card format. It's the the same pinout, the same physical format, uh, and rumors abound from Nikon and Panasonic that there will be a firmware update in the future that will allow them to be uh, able to use CF Express cards, maybe not to their full potential, but at least when that media becomes available, SanDisk uh, Disk has just announced the uh, ability to uh, to purchase. I don't know if they're shipping or if it's pre-order, uh, but you can drop some money on those CF Express cards right now to use in these cameras. Um, now, what's interesting is the C500 uh, Mark II uh, will record at 5.9K. Sony's marketing their product, uh, you know, cheaper as a base price, more expensive when you start adding the modules. Um as a 6K camera, but it only outputs 4K. Right. Uh, and they say that they, they'll downsample it to be a higher quality, crisper, uh, more detailed 4K footage. And while that makes sense, uh, and I, I, you know, a lot of people might only need a 4K deliverable, so why not get the best 4K quality possible? Uh, you could probably do that in post, too. You could shoot 6K. And then bring that down to 4K as part of the editing and production process. And so I find it somewhat unusual to have 6K capabilities on a camera in terms of the sensor. uh, And it's got to be able to read that out but to output only 4K footage. And I don't know if this is a market segmentation thing. You know, Mm -hmm. if they've got other cameras that they don't want to monopolize on that cost significantly more, um, or if there is some limitation in the hardware itself, uh, whether it's, you know, writing to media or some other, some such. Um, Again, this is somewhat foreign uh, to me. And if Jordan Drake is listening, he's probably screaming into his uh, car right now because he's he's my other favorite video guy. uh, And he knows more about this stuff than I do. But I digress. Uh, these cameras, will this new technology for the average person mean anything? Is this something that you're going to go out and say, you know what, I'm going to do a big video project. I need this. Or maybe you go with a, a camera that you could like, maybe you rent one, or maybe you get something like the, uh, the Lumix S1 or the S1H that does darn good video, uh, and might have raw output if for some reason you need that, but it's in a stills format. Where do you stand on the divide between a cinema only and a stills cinema kind of hybrid? Cause I shot with the, um, uh, the Lumix GH5S over the winter time. I had it for a video shoot that I needed, but I shot a bunch of snowflakes with it. And it was only a 12 megapixel sensor, but those were damn good pixels. Right. Um, and I had some very, very high quality results with that that rivaled 18 and 20 megapixel cameras just because the quality was there. 
Interesting you should say that because I I want one of these cameras. I could really use I could make this camera sing. I'm not going to buy it. I it's it's for me it's too much money and it's the kind of thing that I said a long time ago when this is way back even when when Panasonic was trying to enter the, the with their with their sort of cinema version of of like D, a DV camera, digital video uh, with a tape and everything like that, but I said, I'm not going to, I don't want to buy another video camera. The technology is turning over so fast that if I need one, I will rent one. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would either rent or borrow because, you know, would you rather have a boat or a friend with a boat? <laughs> Very good analogy. Cause anything goes wrong with a boat, the tiniest thing you're into at least a thousand dollars to fix whatever that problem is. That's where it starts. That's just a look. And so, I find that I'd much rather show up on a Sunday with a six pack of beer and say, "Hey, who wants to go out on your boat?" Uh, so in that in that respect, obviously, I would I would like to rent it. The downside being, you know, you know, with your cameras, that your muscle memory is everything, especially when you're out in front of a client. You don't want to be fumbling around the manual, looking like you don't know what you're doing. And so, getting a lot of uh, a lot of stick time on uh, a certain camera is very important which is why I tend to not want to shoot with these. I've had opportunity to shoot with these, like be a primary shooter for, for big shoots. And I've just said, look, I can do this. I'm not, I'm not going to make it sing yet. So maybe I'll shoot second camera. Yeah. However, uh, well, and oh, continue. Well, where it's going to, where it is going to, where it is going to translate to, to the consumer is the price on these is so low and the tech is so high that I can see that being a trend that continues. And so I think a lot of this technology is going to bleed into the, the prosumer category, and we're going to see a lot of benefit in that respect. Well, and that leads into uh, the lens choices, right? I mean, you've got uh, – there has been uh, an explosion – of cinema lenses that have been announced in the last couple of weeks. Uh, one that uh, struck me first was from Nightcore, who we talked about in the previous episode, making new batteries for Sony cameras. Um, and they're a great flashlight and, uh, I guess, battery manufacturer. Um, and now, out of the blue, uh, they have a, an entire lineup of five different cinema lenses. And they do look like they've been rebranded from another company, and we might get into that. But we also have stuff from Sam Yang and Sigma. And uh, there was even some new announcements today that just came out uh, from SLR Magic, announced a 21 and 50 millimeter uh, micro prime uh, cinema lenses for micro four thirds cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm probably missing some, but there has been massive cinema lens announcements from everybody. Um, so what is a cinema lens? Uh, maybe we could touch also on the difference between a T-stop and an F-stop. But why would you need this for video production when you've already got a whole suite of lenses as a photographer? Well, I happen to have a couple of the Sam, Sam Yang uh, cinema lenses I've had for a few years, some of the lower-end ones. They're branded, they're branded differently. They're, they're over here, they're broken on and the North America that are Wallamax, uh, but it's all built by Sam Yang. I'm told I love these things. They are fantastic. I have the 35 mil T one five and the 85 T one five, which I guess we'll get into the T's versus the F's in a second. Um, I'm not sure they're actually T's. I'll be honest with you, but, uh, but there are, <laughs> they are fantastic lenses. And, 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 and what these are is, is essentially they're full manual lenses. There's no zoom to it. First of all, the prime lenses, 
but they're full manual, meaning you have the focus uh, focus ring on the barrel, which I guess you do on on your autofocus cameras as well or lenses lenses as well. But this is a fixed stopping, uh, like a fixed focus ring, meaning you get to infinity, it stops. Now, if you have like say your twenty four to one hundred five, which I do use sometimes for video, now you 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 get all the way to infinity. It's kind of floating. You can still spin that focus ring. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of engineered to have a little bit of wiggle room beyond that because who knows how well it's properly affixed to the camera and uh, and how things are engineered. I mean, there is, um, uh, I guess, I don't know what the proper term would be, but the the idea that okay, well, maybe the sensor is mounted a fraction of a millimeter too far forward or back from where. It, it, it uh, really should be. And so the lens has to be engineered in a way where that infinity focus could be a little bit more flexible because the lens might also not be engineered to the, the exact same parameters. Mm. Uh, and, and so that disparity means that, yeah, you know what, you can go a little bit past infinity just to make sure that infinity is reachable. I, I Also, there's the difference between the internal focus and the ring itself. And, and I always took this to be, have, having been a kid who who shot with, autofocus VHS video cameras as a kid, our school had one. And so when you would, when you would focus the entire focus ring would move on the outside. Yeah. And that strikes me as taking up an awful lot of extra battery life. So in my head, now, I don't know if this is what the engineers did. I just assumed that was the case and that became law in, in my own head. They built it so that that focus ring did not spin in order to save battery life down the road very interesting uh maybe uh but now i mean with a lot of these cinema lenses uh you'll find these uh these gears on the outer edge right because the lens is often not focused on its own or by using autofocus it's controlled by an external device um uh a follow focus of some kind that will allow you sometimes to preset different focus points and how it can automatically uh go from one to another maybe somebody is manually adjusting that with a, a little joysticky device there's lots of different ways for you to control the focus but it's interesting to note that the the person operating the camera is not always the same person that's focusing the camera almost never uh, yeah well when you get into these high-end productions these people i mean their brains are focusing on different things on on framing and on any of the the myri- uh, myriad of buttons that are on the outside of that camera like you said you need stick time with that to know it because it's a different language Mm -hmm. and you can't be speaking the language of focus at the same time, which is so critical. Somebody should be dedicated just to that. Correct. And that, and that's the first camera assistant. He's the the focus puller. And it it is really, it's really low tech. Even nowadays, you essentially, you put two pieces of tape on the lens, one on the lens, one on the, uh, the, the focus ring. And you'll, you'll, you'll have a mark. Everyone goes back to, we call it back to ones. They go to their, their first position. You, you sometimes you'll measure out with a tape tape measure, or you can just focus manually. Uh, put a mark mark right across on the on the the tape. Have them come to their second spot, focus again, and put a physical mark on the on the tape. And now all that focus puller has to do is move from one mark to the other, and they'll be in focus, provided the actor hits their mark, of course, which a right. good act, a good actor will do. Uh, and we won't get into bad actors, but um, <laughs> the the ideas uh, with this cinema world uh, are so different from photography, uh, including that 
that whole T-stop versus F-stop difference. And so, uh, I, I mean, I know the difference, but I don't want to take words out of your mouth as you're the expert. Well, the difference is, I mean, the, the F-stop is a, is, a, is a ratio between the, the length of the lens and the maximum aperture. Correct? Right. Now, there's many things that could technically affect how much light goes through. So if you say, oh, well, we're, we're shooting this at an F2.8, because oftentimes when you're shooting cinema, you don't, ha- you don't use the, light, the built-in light meter. Now, that all changes now with, with these, these different uh, uh, cameras that, that they'll, they'll have that, you know, you can use the light meter, you can use the uh, histogram built in, that's great. But previously what you would do is you'd take a light meter out and say, all right, well, we're shooting this at a 5.6.8 split. And then you would just dial that into your into the, under the lens, and that was that was it. Now you're not taking into account how much light is lost from the beginning of the front of the lens to the back. So yeah, your car has four four hundred horsepower, but what is it at the back wheels? Like how is the transmission doing? And, and exactly. it's the same same with the lens. And so in in theory, they will then put put these these lens on a uh, lenses on a bench. They'll shoot you know to take some precise measurements and make sure that the actual light transmission wide open is an actual f15 because it's measured the call a t15 i'm guessing for the 500 bucks i spent on the 85 mil lens they probably didn't do that Just my <laughs> or guess. at least not as uh, as reliably as adding a zero to the price tag would have earned you but um, right. it's Cook also does that zeiss does that yeah uh, exactly. So, but it also goes into uh, the idea that there is light fall off when you focus closer because, uh, I mean, I know macro lenses and I know that when you go up to a one-to-one magnification, uh, you lose light getting there. And I've got some lenses that'll now get to a two-to-one magnification because they're, they're just designed that way. And you lose a stop going from one-to-one to two-to-one. Um, and you lose some going from infinity to one-to-one as well. So um, the idea of an F-stop uh, is that the the light loss that actually hits the sensor um, would be, uh, I guess, uh, a problem. <laughs> I mean, in some cases, it doesn't really matter for video production work. Like when I'm doing my nature documentary, uh, small little segments and what have you, I'm not uh, pulling focus to any great degree. The brightness isn't changing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if you're shooting uh, like family video, if if your focus is relatively static because you're doing YouTube videos or you're doing tutorial videos for photography. All of the stuff that I do, a T-stop doesn't matter because it's F-stop is fine. My focus isn't shifting to any great degree to make a big difference there. But if you're doing very large focus pulls, you'll want that to be consistent across the way because if it's not, that's a nightmare to fix afterwards. Correct. That is. And that's, I haven't noticed too much of that personally uh, in, my, in my own use. One thing I do notice a lot, and this you'll notice more with, with cinema lenses in general, is you'll get something called focus breathing. Meaning when you do pull focus and like and, and pull in closer, the actual framing will change in camera. Yes. Which can be very distracting, um, especially now that I've pointed it out to the listeners. So when you watch a movie, like watch Goodfellas again and you'll see you'll see it, it focus breathing happens. And it's very frustrating to my eye. I can't I can't I can't not see it now. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Well, and you can see this when you do focus stacking by adjusting the focus of your lens. A lot of cameras will have an in-camera focus bracketing system. 
And if you bring those into Photoshop and you hit auto align layers, you'll see them nested inside of each other uh, like those Russian stacking dolls, mm-hmm. right? And because when you change the focus of a regular stills lens, you also slightly change the focal length of the lens and changing the focal length changes the field of view. And this can be a problem uh, for cinematographers if if it is undesirable to have that. And a cinema lens, largely, at least the good ones, uh, will avoid this problem. So do 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 the listeners need cinema lenses, I think, is what you're kind of asking me. Yep. Um, yes and no. I absolutely love mine. I, I, I said I have the 35 and the 85. But to me, that's the, the perfect combination. I don't use much in between there. For shooting video, they they are going with the five the 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 DSLRs. They they are an absolute game changer as well. The things you can do, the ability to full pull focus, having the aperture on the barrel like you do is amazing, at an extremely low price level, relatively speaking. I think one one of mine was probably five hundred. One was seven hundred, which was which was relatively little because you can spend an awful lot of money on glass. Um, if you're interested in shooting. Anything resembling a movie with your DSLR, I suggest picking one or, or two up. Um, not great for run and gun, though. Like, if you're going to be shooting documentary stuff or or you're going to be the one-man gang, like I often am, and have to handle all the focusing and, and doing the audio and the directing and the craft service, that's, <laughs> that's getting the food. Um, for that, I use the 24 to 105 because it's just I don't have time to deal with everything. Up to that point, I was using the, the two cinema lenses and just switching them out. But be, because I was running and gunning, from uh, I bought a chalk bag, a belt-mounted chalk bag for rock climbers. And okay. obviously no chalk in it, but it's a perfect size. Uh, it's about yay big, which you can not see on the podcast. Um, and it just clips to your belt with Velcro, and it, it's big enough to hold one of those lenses. So one lens and, on the camera, one's off, and I can switch back and forth while I'm running and gunning. And and, and that's very helpful to have. Uh, but running and gunning with a cinema lens as a one-man operator of everything can be a huge challenge because uh, the average cinema lens does not have autofocus. Um, in fact, many of them are purely mechanical in the sense that when you set your aperture to a particular setting, um, it mechanically just locks down inside the lens itself, assuming that you're going to be using video and it doesn't have to lock into place when you press the shutter button on a camera and then snap back open. Right. Uh, that would never be the purpose of a cinema lens. So if you're especially shooting at very small apertures, which I generally wouldn't recommend using a cinema lens for, but if you did, your viewfinder uh, would become very, very dim uh, on a traditional camera if you're using it as a stills lens. And so it is really purposefully built uh, for that video production work. It is. And because DSLRs are great, you know, they're great at taking pictures. They're actually pretty great at taking video. They're not great at working together. Um, And for that very reason, I've had, I've been in the middle of shoot and someone will say, Oh, can you grab a quick photo of this? Uh, Not really. It's actually a massive (laughs) pain to do exactly what, what Don just said. You, you can't, you can't do it quickly. The 24 to 105 you can get away with, but the cinema lenses you're not. 
Yeah. So yeah. and so we have more choices for cinema lenses now, right? And and at a price point, especially when you get companies like Sam Yang, um, that they're producing stuff that is at such a, a an inexpensive price point compared to like a, if I don't even know what Cook charges for their lenses mm-hmm. uh, or Zeiss, but uh, you can be pretty well guaranteed that getting enough of those to be effective on on set would cost you more than my car. Oh, most definitely. Uh, I, I'm not even sure what you drive, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over on that for sure. Um, but meanwhile, like, what were some of the price points on the like? There's so many that I, I I couldn't check them all out. I'm assuming you can get something for probably four hundred dollars or something. Uh, for a set, I, for I'm a, sure yeah. under the Rokinon brand, there's usually a lot of stuff in that multiple hundred dollar price range. Um, and uh, and I'm looking at the uh, the Nightcore stuff right now, and I don't see prices on. Uh, I should have looked this up beforehand, but I'm still suffering from jet lag. So please forgive me. I checked me. that out. I, they said there was no prices available, so it's not you. Uh, but if, but if I look at the um, uh, the lenses that it is based on, that have the exact same barrel and every other function, that is uh, probably like Rokinon and Sam Yang and everybody else are the same kind of thing. A lot mm-hmm. of the Chinese manufacturers will just put a different brand on things. Uh, and you're getting prices on those lenses between uh, $2,500 and $3,000 US. Um, and if you want uh, all five, it would have been $12,000. So Nightcore might be the same. Maybe they're going to come in and completely undercut those prices. I'm not sure. But um, that's that. That's a very good quality prime stills lens kind mm-hmm. of price. And so you better know what you're doing if you're going to be paying that much. But for 500 bucks, as you mentioned, you can get into this race and you can get something that is passable, that is workable. And especially if you don't know what you're getting into, maybe that's the best place to start. It would be. I, I I can't say I would spend twelve hundred or or more on a if I, unless I'm really shooting four K. I don't think you're going to notice even on HD. The 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 lenses I have are fantastic. I purposely actually like the uh, the bottom shelf lenses in this case because it adds a nice little sort of softness to the image. Like I don't like things to be super super crisp. Um, and so these these are right in the wheelhouse. I I happen to love them. They do a great job. So I I, I got to tell you if if I was even if I was wanting to shooting a bunch of shoot a bunch of home movies, uh, I, I'd have a look at the thirty five mil cinema lens. It'd be it'd be pretty fun to shoot around with if you had the extra cash. Yeah, I mean, thirty five is a great focal length for stills for family shoots when you've got people running around and uh, on a full frame sensor, mind you. Um, twenty five, I mean, that might be a bit too wide for that really cinema feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, fifty, I think, is overused by by too many uh, photographers. But thirty five is is a favorite for me when uh, when I've got sort of the, the family in mind. And, I have um, fallen in love with the thirty five be- because of the my my the Fuji one hundred uh, X X uh, the one hundred F I have which is the 35 equivalent, they call it, I have fallen in love with that focal length. In fact, I have a a, a video project coming up that I'm considering shooting solely on the X100F just, just to see if I can do it. Wow. Well, I'd love to see the results of that, positive or negative. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's there's going to be a lot of people shots, and so there's going to be wide shots, there'll be close-ups, but I'm going to do a, you know the zoom with your feet like you hear all about and uh i i kind of want to see if i can make it happen I th- i'm pretty sure i can i'd rather not fail so we'll see <laughs> well uh we will see and I, I again uh keep us uh informed as to the uh, the success or failure of that particular project especially if it doesn't work out i'd love to hear what you might do better next time <laughs> oh i'll be fired there'll be no next time <laughs> 
it's a recurring uh, job. So if I if I blow this one, it's kind of a big one. All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, being fired from recurring jobs, um, uh, this podcast gets reviews periodically. And I actually want to interject uh, in between the stories that we have set up by uh, reading out one of our recent reviews. Um, it is maybe it's an Internet award of sorts. We have received Photo Geek Weekly has received its first one star review. Oh, um, excellent. And, and I am going to read it to you. Uh, and by the way, uh, mypodcastreviews.com lets me uh, f- uh, just c- kind of get a stream of any new reviews that come in. So if anybody does uh, post a review to iTunes or anywhere else online, uh, I get to uh, to see that in my inbox, which is always great. And there's some very nice ones out there. And I should probably start reading one an episode if new ones come in. So anyhow, uh, Chuck Oreger, um, thank you for your commentary. Um, here we go. Here is his uh, review. Uh, one star. Uh, Every few months, I try to listen to Photo Geek Weekly, and when I do, I usually stop within 15 minutes. Don is an accomplished photographer, as are his guests. However, he never lets them talk. Don will ask a question, the guest will start to respond, and before he or she can develop the concept, Don takes over the conversation with something that he can't help but add to the conversation. This is a real disappointment when he has someone like Iberian X Perillo on and Don doesn't let him talk. I started to listen to Don and Brian Matias today and had to stop. Oi. Um, which, by the way, Alan, I also got negative feedback uh, on one of the times you were on when you opined at length about your daughter's new bike at Christmas. And somebody <laughs> said that. Alan was too long-winded in that particular moment, so I think we're both guilty of this. So, which is it? Do, do I do, do you let people talk or you don't? Yeah, really. Well, but what I love, Chuck, is you you give me a one-star review, but you keep re-listening to the show as if you expect things to change. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I on some respect, I appreciate that he gave you the he took the time to give it a review, though. He actually, no, I, it, wasn't I just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a drive by one star. He wrote it out. He wrote it out. And so I do appreciate that. And I want to call out to anybody that enjoys or hates this podcast that is still listening after the 40 minute point at this point, if you are hating what you're doing right now, uh, I, I don't know if that's a good thing. Maybe you should reevaluate your life choices. The best uh, part, the best part about hitting your hand with a hammer continuously is when you stop. <laughs> Exactly. So there you go, Chuck. Quit hit, quit hitting your hand with a hammer, man. Um, All right. But, but I anybody to, else at re- once? I have to read the review about 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 my daughter's bike now. Jeez. Uh, I don't Not know now, if that was actually a posted review, but uh, I can send you the email that I received on that. I even forget <laughs> who sent it. In, but, oh, it was uh, offline. Okay. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, so we get negative feedback for this podcast and we get positive feedback too. So if you want to leave some positive feedback for us, uh, it would be appreciated and I read it all. Uh, okay. Listen, we, we, we get, we get feedback mostly on, on, on the two hoser show. We, we get mostly positive feedback. In fact, it's almost all positive, which leads me to believe that there's something wrong. Like you, you should get, (laughs) I've seen the internet. You should get X amount of negative feedback. Now, what the couple times we have, it usually is much like Chuck did. It is, it is, there is some, 
um, what would we say, uh, constructive criticism built in there, whether it's, you know, accurate or not, there is some attempt at constructive criticism. So I appreciate that. It's not just, you know, you suck, go bears. It, it, it's, it's, but, uh, I gotta tell you, I appreciate, I appreciate the bad reviews as even more than the, the, the positive ones. Well, and I think that's human nature, right? Like if you're about to buy a new product and spend some serious cash on something and you see that two people left one star reviews, but there's 500 five star (laughs) reviews, the first reviews you read are those two one star reviews to figure out a if that person is off the rocker and they just couldn't get it out of the package or if it's dead on arrival or whatever else, or B, if there is actually a problem uh, with the device that is legitimately a concern that you should be aware of. And you don't get that from the five star review. Oh, did you want to hear from me? (laughs) I gave a gap for you to speak, sir. Oh, man, I should have read that better. Yes. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, let's get into our next story, um, which phase one had teased a dramatic announcement. uh, And it turns out that they have announced their new XT camera system. And uh, I've got this pulled up on dpreview.com. Speaking of internet commentary. This thing has, uh, at the time that I pulled it up earlier, 225, now 227 uh, comments. And I won't, mm-hmm. uh, I won't read them all, but you talk about negativity on the internet. Uh, posts like this uh, get very vitriolic. So let's try to distill it down to uh, the nuts and bolts that we might care about and then say how silly this is. So um, phase one, for people that might not be familiar, makes medium format cameras. In fact, medium format in the digital sense has a lot of different sensor sizes. Phase one makes the biggest, uh, and they have 100 and 150 megapixel backs in their IQ4 system right now. But have you invested or were considering investing into a uh, $50,000 plus camera system um, that would be exceptional for certain studio work if your clients are willing to pay for it, if you've built up that reputation. But you know what? You want to take it on Safari. You want to take it on the go. Um, Have you been clamoring for that ability? Well, now you can with the Phase 1 XT camera system. Have I summed this up well enough, Alan? You have, but like my my the bulk of my experience comes with the phase one, which is not, no hands on at all. But I have seen uh, who's the, the Canadian guy, Joey L. Do you sure. know who he is? Uh, no, but I'll carry on. You don't know him? Oh man, you, I'm sure I'm sure you have seen his stuff. Um, and I, I believe he shoots exclusively with the, the phase one, and he takes it everywhere. I mean, he was he was with the the Freedom Fighters in Syria. He was like the guy has done some amazing. He's 11 years old too, which is the kicker. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not joking. He's he's a he's a young. He's probably older now. He's he's obviously, but he's a very young dude doing amazing work. And you see some of the places where he's taken his phase one. Uh, it was already portable, according to him. But I, I get, I get it. I, I get medium format. I, I, I like it. I don't fifty six thousand dollars like it. Well, and and the fact is that you've you're gonna have this back. That's not gonna change. It's gonna be big. It's got the brains of everything built into it. It's got the sensor, the processor, and right. uh, the screen on the back, and all of the other buttons associated with that. And you know, one of the benefits of medium format is that can be upgraded as time goes on uh, and placed on different camera bodies. And so this is really an announcement of a body because the backs are staying the same. 
but the bodies would traditionally uh, have bulky ingredients. You'd have a sometimes optional optical viewfinder. You would have uh, the ability to add grips on, in some cases, even a left-handed grip, depending on how you wanted to configure a camera. Uh, and so all of that would have a lens on the front. And so this modular system evolves. Um, but if you wanted a, uh, a bare bones, but still very functional travel camera, um, then you would have to get a body that is representative of something small, uh, no nonsense. It's got a grip and a uh, very oddly turquoise shutter button. I guess that's uh, phase one's kind of signature there, but it's always bothered me for some unknown reason. Um, and so you've got this really slim camera body that uh, if you took off the back and said, okay, well, the sensor is inside that, I would believe it. This would be revolutionary. But mm. then you've got the junk in the trunk. You've got right. this massive medium format back on this thing that, yes, if you considered a medium format camera to be portable before, you would consider this to be more so. Most people wouldn't compared to a 35 millimeter Sony's full frame um like the A7 uh, series, are incredibly small compared to a lot of the competition for what they can cram into those bodies. Um, they don't have that massive back end that is stuck with all of this electronics. And I get that some of that is needed because, uh, you know, you're processing 150 megapixel images at whatever frame rates th these are capable of. But if you're going to make something portable, I just, I feel... I feel like you should have made the back smaller too, right? Mm -hmm. Is that possible? So the, the sensor is in, is not in the back. The sensor is in the camera. No, the sensor's on, on the back plane of the back. If you were to take off that, the back, the okay. sensor is right there next to where the camera body connects to. Oh, okay. So it could be, it could be much more portable. Yeah, it could be. Okay. I'm, or, or I mean, I, I suppose it would be portable if it could be portable. I, 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 I guess there's probably not, not just a bunch of rocks in there. I mean, there must be something going on. <laughs> well, and and I've always been, uh, and, and I'm actually surprised at, at Phase One uh, offering new products on a much faster uh, refresh cycle than they have in the past. Um, but um, the fact previous to this has been that you know what, you might not have the R and D cycle of a, um, a Canon, Nikon, Sony kind of manufacturer where you're going to have new silicon for just about everything every 12 to 18 months mm -hmm. that would keep things compact and keep things using the latest and the greatest, spending those many millions of dollars because the return on investment would be that your price point would be lower and you would sell 100 to a thousand times more of them than phase one would and so you'd make up your money from phase one on the price tag but you're still only going to sell a small handful of them compared to people making those smaller mass market cameras and thereby how much can you put the r&d in for every product cycle where making it bigger would maybe cost a little bit less and and i don't think that's a bad thing but when you're trying to make it compact i think that's a compromise you can no longer make yeah, I'm not getting one of these. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if, and, and this is a pivotal thing, Alan, if this cost $10,000, mm -hmm. would you buy it? No. And so at a price tag of over $50,000, it becomes kind of silly. But that's mostly for the brains though, correct? So like if you already own their, their you own one of those with the other system, this could be like an add-on, like you could take this out on the road. 
I imagine so, although they haven't uh, released any pricing that I could find. Uh, they say that for the, the whole system, uh, including a lens of your choice, is $56,999 US. Right. Um, but what if you already have lenses? What if you already have the back and you just need this new on-the-go portion? Well, maybe it would be worthwhile because people clearly are buying these cameras at this price point because they are in a market that can sustain it. Um, does that market transition itself to uh, shooting from a moving vehicle as they show in one of the pictures here with uh, right. Ruben Wu uh, with the, the XT. I don't know if that's a viable market, but the fact is that all of the brains are in the back and the optics are in the lens. The midpoint in between them is the interface between those two ingredients. And it might not be that expensive to engineer something, at least to test the waters and see if there's a market there to push forward with. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to wait and see. I, yeah, they must be doing something. I I would assume so. I uh, they they made a big splash that this is going to kind of be a paradigm shift for them, but I don't know if this paradigm is wanted by by anybody uh, to shift into. We will see. Uh, I I for one would love to get my hands on on one of these cameras and uh, and and put uh, and put some actual substance behind my words, but I've uh, unfortunately never had the joy of of handling a Phase One IQ four camera in any flavor. Well, when you so, get Joey Joey L on the on the podcast, you can ask him. <laughs> that I will. Uh, but uh, there's not much more we can talk about from that. It was just kind of a fun little aside. Um, and uh, apparently, you can shoot video with these cameras too these days. So that might be a bonus. All right, um, final story, kind of a fun one uh, from Petapixel, which I kind of read as a as a humor article. But you know, there could be some value in this. Okay, I wasn't sure. I was reading through it thinking, this is a joke, right? Yeah, well, okay, so the article is titled, The Flash as a Self-Defense Weapon. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you've ever flashed yourself accidentally, um, you you see stars and, and your vision is a little bit dull for a little while, even in uh, in bright enough ambient light. It's hard for you to see. But what if you had adjusted night vision and somebody flashed something in your face? You would be knocked out uh, visually for a good amount of time for anybody to, uh, you know, either you know, take advantage of you or to, uh, to, to, for you to escape from harm or some other way. So this was a novel approach and it might, it might be true. I'm not sure if this was written in pure humor or if it was written as a legitimate approach, but. Okay. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, I, people should read it. I'm assuming you'll post the link on, on your site. Yep. Um, I'm assuming it's a joke because I thought the last line was a punchline. That was what I, I'm again, I'm not going to give it away. I thought it was a punchline. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> it did sound quite a bit like a punchline. And I encourage anybody uh, that wants to read that punchline to go to photogeekweekly.com and check it out. Um, but uh, could you imagine yourself in uh, in a foreign land, maybe where crime is rampant? Maybe you're in Rio de Janeiro with expensive camera gear and you're out at a nightclub. And uh, I don't know why you'd take all your camera gear to <laughs> Rio in a nightclub, but let's assume you're there 
and of course, you weren't able to travel uh, to such a destination with guns or other weaponry, but you've got a camera flash. Would you be able to defend yourself by blinding your opponent at night with a powerful burst of light from your camera equipment? This is actually a fantastic idea that maybe we should leave this off the show and just patent our own, um, although somebody else is probably doing it based on this story. This this seems like a legit thing, but not a camera flash, but an actually dedicated item that would be, you know, it could be very, very small, relatively small. You still need enough size to, to pack a punch, uh, quote unquote, uh, or no pun intended, I mean. And um, I, I could see I could see this being an, an actual legitimate combination device that I would well, I would actually buy for my wife. If you built that into a taser, for example, I was so, going bear spray. I, I I think it's a it's a flash bear spray combo. I think you are good to go here. Yeah. Well, again, I, it disorients people. People. Well, the bear spray. If you get it in their eyes, they're not going to be able to see anything anyhow. Um, but if you hit somebody with a taser and it knocks them down for a minute, by the time they get back up, especially if it's at night, they still have vision problems and they can't to orient themselves properly Mm -hmm. Uh, having absolutely no experience with bear spray or tasers i'm i'm making wild assumptions i i no, i think you're 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 bet you're you're bang on there i think i i I honestly think that this could be a legitimate nothing to do with nothing to do with 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 cameras or 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 flashes this could be a legit handheld device like look like a garage door opener if those still exist i don't know um and this could be actually a great self-defense thing yeah let's not publish this part let's just do a crowdfunding for it exactly let's uh let's start a kickstarter and Mm -hmm. uh i mean how expensive could these things be uh i mean to manufacture you look at what young nuo does with their flashes you get one of their 560 series flashes they're what 50 or 60 bucks and they got to be making profit on that uh you know somewhere to be able to manufacture them especially when they're being sold at retail and not direct so uh yeah to make something even smaller uh yeah they're if, if there's a market, if you scare people enough, they will buy it. On the flip side, this would get out of hand uh, very quickly with me and my friends. We, there'd be a lot of dares involved. <laughs> and so I can see it being a problem. There, There is a whole downside to, you know, flashing it at passing motorists and whatnot. But in general, I think use responsibly. I think it's a good idea. Well, yeah. I mean, that's why you, you don't shine lasers at planes and cars and things Anymore. like that. Uh, Anymore. <laughs> Yeah, because there's legislation to stop you. Uh, uh, But at the same time, I mean, uh, be responsible with whatever uh, defense mechanism you decide to use. uh, And we'll leave that back to the punchline. Check out the show notes if you want to read up on how to use a flash as a self-defense weapon. Um, Sorry, continue. I've been told here in Germany, here in Germany, we have they're they're really big on the traffic uh, speed cameras. Right, like, like there's no police radar, almost no police radar. It's very, very rare. But they have these cameras, both mobile and stationary. Like, like, like they have them built. You know where they are, and people still speed and and they take your picture. But there's a flash involved, and so it's uh, in German. I mean, it's blitz, of course, it's flash. And so you know, like, oh, did you get blitzed? Like, yep, got one. I got you know, and they're ten or fifteen euros, but uh, depending how fast you're going. But I always thought it would just be funny if I were to set up one of my remote. Uh, flashes near one of these things and just flash everybody going by. <laughs> Even if they're not speeding, just because like, they, oh no, I got it. Like, what's going on? And, and I thought it'd be hilarious, but apparently there's a law saying I cannot do that. So they've thought of it here. 
Ah, well, there you go. So, I mean, but but doing so would be, I guess, possibly impersonating law enforcement to some degree, which would be covered by other laws in other jurisdictions as well. So, yeah, still fun, though. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, flashes as weapons as a photographer that does not own a gun, and I don't plan to own a gun, and I do not plan to travel with a gun, and I don't really consider it a good idea to carry knives with me on my person uh, because I just don't find myself in any scenario where that would be required. Right. Uh, as a desert island weapon kind of approach to defend yourself against, uh, uh, you know, uh, evil doers. Yeah, your flash. Use it in a pinch. All right. That's our last story. Alan, uh, picks of the week. What have you got for me this week? Well, I, I, I picked two. I have, I have one that's more of a question because I've never used it, and I want to know what you think of it, if you've heard of it. And so this might be my pick of the week. So I'll, I, it's more of a question of the week. The Western Digital My Passport Wireless SSD with the built-in SD card reader. So you're traveling. I, I found myself recently. We were on, on family vacation. We, we, we drove down to Spain um, from here in Germany, and I took a couple of cameras and I, I didn't want to. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wor- constantly worried about having my camera stolen, which isn't even the worst part. I would be worried about all the pictures I would lose from the trip so far. So I would like to back things up, uh, or in case my camera's damaged, etc. So I, what, what do I do? So I looked into one of these wireless SSDs where you can plug the the SD card right in, hit hit copy. It'll just copy them all over for you. That's and a great idea. I think it's great because we, we were we were we were essentially we had an RV, so it wasn't like we were in a hotel. Uh, we were in an RV, we were camping some of it, and I thought, you know, I, I would like one of those. And and they go for the two hundred and fifty gig model is around, and it, it's also it's got I think it's it's got Wi Fi. You can do wireless things with it. It's 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 runs on a battery uh, as well, so that's very handy. It's all around handy thing. You can hide it in the RV if you like. Very great way to back up your photos till you get home. Uh, the 250 gig model is, uh, I think it's around 200 euros to start. So probably a similar equivalent uh, in North America. It sounds like a great idea. I did see it, it did have a one star review, so I didn't buy it. But uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't want, don't want to make it my pick of the week because I haven't used it yet. I haven't picked it, so it might be a future one. Have you ever used such a device? Well, I've got uh, a number of uh, Western Digital My Passport devices, none of them with a, uh, uh, a an SD card reader and uh, the ability to automatically back stuff up. What I've typically done just because it's been available to me is I have a Microsoft Surface Pro, the Pro 3, so it's uh, years old now. They'll probably be announcing the Pro 7 uh, early October, but... It's got 512 gigabytes of storage, and I don't usually use this device as an everyday go-to device. It's what I use when I'm traveling, so there's a ton of storage space on that, and mm. I'll download all of my uh, data from my memory card to there just uh, by whatever digital asset manager or just direct copying. doesn't matter how it gets there. It gets there. Uh, it's not a one-button press. There's usually I have to copy something over, uh, but it's still convenient enough that I have it on my Surface and I have it on my camera. Um, if I happen to lose one or the other, they're usually not in the same bag at the same time, uh, and uh, so then I'd still have a, a, a 
version of my data whenever it was last backed up handy for me. But if you don't have that, if you're not traveling with a uh, massive amount of storage in any other way, uh, then this is very convenient, especially for that price point, just to make sure things stay backed up mm-hmm. um, and always keep it in a separate place from your camera. I think logistically that cannot be overstated. You're making a backup. If the backup is in the same place as the original and you're worried about things like theft, then you're not backing anything up at all. Right. Now, if any of your listeners, maybe Chuck, if you're listening still and you've used one of these, uh, you know, let us know. I'd like to know what I'd like to know what people are actually using them for and, and, and how they're and uh, what their experience is like. Because uh, it looks like a great idea to me. I want to hear from the boots on the ground. But that's not my pick. So I, I want to pick something that I have used. Now, I have something that's on the way, but I have used it. That's the, the, the weird twist on this one. So my pick of the week is a cheap knockoff, $8 off-brand Canon FD to EOS uh, adapter ring. And now, in order to use a uh, an FD lens on an EOS camera, uh, you would typically need to have some optics involved in order to maintain infinity focus. Don't correct? do it. Don't do it. Yes, they 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 make they make two different versions. There's one without because it, it changes the flange distance so much uh, that that that. It's, it's, so I bought one of these years ago. Because I have a bunch of FD lenses, I thought, oh, I'll use these. I'll, before I bought the cinema lenses, I'll use these for, for film stuff. It'd be great. I have, you can do all the same things. So they, they made two versions. There's one with optics in the middle and one without. And I think w- without was like 40 uh, euros at the time. And with the optics was like 60 or something like that. And in my head, I thought, well, you know, more glass, especially at a $60 price point, more glass isn't going to make for good images. Yeah. I think it's going to degrade your image. So I said, I'm, you know, forget it. Like, so what? I'll lose infinity in focus, but so what? I'll still get to use the lens. So I bought the, the one for 40 euros without the optics. Um, and you get it and you find out not only do you lose infinity, infinity, you lose most of the lens. The yeah, flange you can only distance, focus about five feet away, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's a real pain. Uh, so it, it was utterly useless to me or so I thought, and I sent it back, got my money back. But ever since then, I, I'd used it for about two days and I thought about it and I thought, no, I, I kind of wish I'd kept it now, not for 40 euros. Cause it turns out you can get them for eight, which I just bought one and it's on its way. They're actually pretty useful for a macro use. Right up your alley. Well, yeah, you don't need infinity focus in that sense. It's useless for you anyhow if you're up close and personal. And there are a ton of uh, very good FD lenses. In fact, I was using one today, um, a Canon FD 200 millimeter lens I bought on eBay for $15. I think it cost me more in shipping to actually get the lens Mm -hmm. uh, that I was mounting microscope objectives to the front of. And I just use one of those cheap FD to EOS adapters. Uh, and so I can, uh, I can look to you, Alan, and say, you made a good investment, especially if you are using it as a close-up lens, uh, because so long as you, you understand, there's no infinity focus. There's nothing from a distance that you will ever be able to get out of it, no. and you're okay with that. Then you can now reuse all of these lenses as macro lenses. Macro for video, uh, especially, and and so that I'm pretty excited about. For, for eight for eight euros, I thought, you know what, I want that. I want this macro use. I haven't shot enough. Don will be proud of me if I do this. 
done. <laughs> so that's my pick of the week. I am proud of you, sir. Um, and, and like I said, uh, it does have practical uses. I needed a 200 millimeter base lens um, for these microscope objectives because if you set a 200 millimeter lens to infinity and get a little thread mount adapter to put uh, these lenses that are infinity corrected optics on the front of that, you basically have put a, a microscope objective on your camera and it works really well. I didn't have a 200 millimeter lens. I used to right. have a Canon 100 to 400 and I sold that. Uh, and so I just needed something cheap because the real resolution comes from the microscope objective, not the glass in between because mm. you're limited by diffraction and so many other things that uh, whatever glass you choose isn't going to be a huge problem. And so, uh, yeah, I've made uh, you know work for my upcoming book with uh, that kind of contraption and that includes your pick of the week. And you didn't know that when you picked it. So there you go. I've, I've drawn a connection. All right. Uh, my pick is, uh, is a flashlight. And I've picked flashlights before on this podcast. Uh, this one is a Convoy S2, uh, which is an LED flashlight. But specifically, it emits ultraviolet light. And it does so in a really good way. Uh, some some of these lights are either way too dim to be useful or too contaminating of the visible spectrum to uh, to produce meaningful results. Because uh, if you get too much visible light coming through with the ultraviolet, it gives you this awful color cast that's very difficult to get rid of. Um, these guys have done it great. Uh, not perfect, mind you. And if I were to make it absolutely perfect, I might put filters in front of these little lights uh but you'd be looking at between 40 and 60 dollars for one of them um i've got some six watt versions they make them a little bit less powerful as well uh and just today i was photographing some diamonds that uh did you know that diamonds fluoresce under ultraviolet light uh, i did not know that not wait, all wait, of wait. Them do. So, okay good whew because i've explain to my wife some things. Okay, good. <laughs> but I was actually, I was photographing uh, an engagement ring for a friend of mine uh, and I'll be going to his wedding uh, next month actually. And uh, I wish them the best, but I just, uh, out of curiosity, there was a few little tiny diamonds around the edges of the, uh, of the band. And I put the ultraviolet light on it because I was doing a, a shoot for the rings and some of them, uh, one fluoresced, I think two fluoresced blue and one fluoresced orange. And I was, befuddled by it uh and i did some research and sure enough uh diamonds especially you know the, the really small ones that you can buy uh, almost um uh, like they're, i think the term is diamond dust um they're uh like sub millimeter like they're i think the ones i have are like a quarter to a third of a millimeter in diameter and they're rough sometimes they're just blobs sometimes they have facets and i bought a bag of them for like 200 uh, diamonds for like $20 or something to that effect uh, on eBay. Uh, very inexpensive, but they're very, very small. Uh, some of them ended up fluorescing really, really vibrantly. So uh, today, one of the things I had done is I uh, sort of uh, built up a contraption uh, yes, with a bunch of these uh, with a bunch of these lights. Maybe I'll post this photo. You have uh, to, that's the it, predator. Uh, in the uh, in the show notes where I've got all these flashlights on uh, on little arms and there's this tiny little ring of um, uh, of, of diamonds that are set in front of uh, uh, the, uh, the the lens 
and uh, you know that into an actual image turns into something really quite wonderful um, with uh, all sorts of different colors across the uh, the visible spectrum uh, from fluorescence from sort of a dull white bright blues uh, lots of shades of greens and yellows and oranges uh, along the way so. Um, that was uh, that was today's experiment using the Convoy S2. Now, the problem with this is um, the only place that I found to, to sell it reliably is uh, from a guy who uh, owns a website, Way Too Cool. And uh, he's really old school and archaic. Uh, you go to the product webpage, you can't just place an order for these things. You have to send him an email and inquire okay. about your uses for this. And <laughs> then he will uh, discuss the product with you and then uh, send you an invoice and ship you the product. Um, which, sure, I mean, the old school mentality of actually having a conversation with somebody before you buy something from them, I like it. Uh, mm-hmm. That is not the modern world. And uh He's probably losing sales from that, but but he might uh, think you're adding bear spray to it, and so I don't blame <laughs> him. I don't blame this guy. This sounds this sounds legit to me. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, uh, his uh, uh, his flashlights, at least in North America and Europe, they might have different distributors and what have you. Uh, but these lights uh, from way too cool. There will be a link in the show notes uh, that you'll follow to an email address and carry on a conversation. Just tell him that I sent you. And, uh, and you'll be able to, uh, uh, maybe make him scratch his head and say, who is this Don guy sending all these people to buy these flashlights? Because, uh, I'm selling them to people that photograph or that, uh, you know, go as hobbyists to explore fluorescing minerals on waterfronts and lakeshores and things. Um, anyhow, that is my pick. The, uh, the Convoy S2, very powerful, uh, the most powerful and the purest on its own, really condensed narrow beam ultraviolet light source in flash flashlight form um, that I have discovered to date. And that will be in my new book as well. It's part of the research that I'm doing to finish off that section of it. All right. Uh, what do you think about that? Are you going to run out and buy one? Uh, we'll see if he lets me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there'd be other people, I think, distributing in different uh, continents. So Okay. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. But I, I got the idea that with that and some other video, uh, uh, sort of continuous light uh, uh ultraviolet light sources, I might be able to uh, do some proper video work in ultraviolet fluorescence uh, in real time, not having to do a time lapse. So uh, that's all building to new stuff to come. Uh, But for now, check out that link at uh, photogeekweekly.com. And Alan, where can people find you and your wonderful podcast? Uh, You can find me and Adam over at twohosers.com, where we post a new episode every Monday morning. Wonderful. And I'm glad that you keep to a reliable schedule, even if you have to record them back to back, as I know you've had to do from time to time. We did. All of August was done early because we were both on vacation. But that means now that we're back back from vacation, Don, you'll be back on the show as soon as we can have you. Awesome. I love uh, I love to be a guest on your show. Uh, the last couple of times, I think it's just been me and you and Adam uh, has been a uh, uh, maybe at the beginning or the end. I'm not sure I don't listen to the episodes that I'm on. Uh, <laughs> but have you ever figured out your audio issues with uh, with Adam? I know that there was so many issues with levels and Skype and clipping at uh, just unusual levels. Technology shouldn't be a problem for us now in 2019, but even I have had a ton of issues with audio in the last little while. Yeah, well, our our one uh, our one we did we did solve it, and the big way was just bidding uh, adieu to Skype. You you guys can go. Yeah, I I rarely I I don't think I've used Skype at least for my own production work in years. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so we, we don't we don't actually no one no one wants to hear how we record our show. If you want to hear how we record our show, I'll explain it on our next show. You can tune in and find out. But I'm guessing definitely Chuck does not want to hear this. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure everybody has tuned out by now. So if you're still listening, um, then Thanks, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think my mom's ever listened to an episode of this, but um, but that's okay. I don't mind that. I'm sure uh, it, she would have way too many questions, and I would have time to answer. Uh, but that being said, we have had a lot of time discussing talking shop about photos and videos and all that stuff that we like to create as creatives. So why don't we go do that and get out and shoot? 